السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ وقال ابو سعيد عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يستنوا In the previous abwab we learned about the etiquette of the Friday prayer and before the etiquette we actually learned about the obligation of the Friday prayer But the Friday prayer is an obligation on who on the men and for others such as women and children then is it mandatory it is not mandatory however it is highly encouraged why because there are great benefits attached to that right because obviously when people are gathered together then there is more blessing more mercy and when women do go to the masjid every now and then then what will happen children will also accompany them and you know that the friday prayer is not just you know a prayer which is performed in congregation rather before the salah is also a khutbah in which is important instruction and advice for the general people you know there are so many many people who are not able to attend you know for example regular classes they're not able to right or some people they may be able to but it's not a priority for them but friday prayers listening to the friday khutbah is an obligation so a once a week class at least minimum why because it is necessary that we receive reminders because no matter how much we know about the importance of something the obligation of something we forget about it So when you hear from somebody else good words that are encouraging that is motivating that is helpful for a person's faith right so we learned about the obligation and the recommendation of the friday prayer obligation for the men and recommendation for women and children and after that we also learned about the etiquette of the friday prayer which is that first and foremost a person must take ghusl he must take a bath why because so many people are going to be gathered together so it is necessary for the overall atmosphere to be a good that everybody is clean and fresh and for that reason a bath is necessary however what did we learn about the ghusl that if a person is not able to take a bath then can he still perform the salah with just wudu yes but that is in extreme situations okay what else besides the ghusl should be done for the friday prayer Okay, fragrance. What else? Oil. Okay. Why oil? Because it was something that was used by the people as a moisturizer and also as a styling agent, you know, for the hair. So, in other words, a person should not just be clean, but he should be looking good. Yani zina should be adopted. A person must do something to look nicer. Okay, to look more beautiful than he looks generally. So did you uh, take a bath today? <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Oh, what about fragrance? What kind of fragrance? Some fragrance at least. Okay? For the women, remember that when they are going to the masjid, that they should not apply fragrance that is going to spread. But at least something on the body that when someone hugs you, okay, then, uh, or at least in the women's section, 
Okay, where there are no men, you're not going to walk past men, you're not going to be sitting immediately behind the men. So there should be some kind of fragrance. Okay. What about oil? You see, if not on the hair, at least somewhere else? Huh? On the hand or... If not oil, oil is what? Moisturizer. So something to look nicer, to feel nicer. Look after your skin also. Okay? So those feet which have been neglected, at least on Friday when you take a bath, apply something on the feet before putting your socks on. And do it as a sunnah, as in apply the oil on your skin, on your hair, whatever it is, just because you want to feel nicer, you want to feel better about yourself because you're going for the Friday prayer. I remember I watched this video clip about, I think it was a beauty pill or something. A group of women, they were given this um, pill, okay, which was obviously not, uh, it was nothing. Okay, It was just a pill. It was just called the beauty pill or something like that. And they were told to you know, journal, regularly journal their feelings, how they feel every day since they've started taking this. All of the women... By the time that they were, you know, the duration ended, so for example, a month or two, whatever it was, they were feeling better about themselves and they were even dressing more nicely. They were feeling more confident about their looks, about their appearance, just because they were told you're taking this medication, which is going to make you look beautiful. So because they started believing that they look beautiful, it changed their attitude about themselves. So even if you don't, you know, wear nice clothes on an everyday basis, at least Friday, when you're going to the masjid to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do something extra to feel good about yourself. Because when you feel confident in yourself, you'll feel good about yourself, that will also make you feel more grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And obviously, ibadah, it must have shukr. So now, inshallah, we will learn about as-siwak. Bab as-siwak yawm al-jumu'ah Using the siwak on the day of Jumu'ah Meaning in order to clean the mouth وَقَالَ أَبُوْ سَعِيدٍ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ And Abu Sa'id said Meaning he narrated, he reported this About the Prophet ﷺ That he used to yastannu He used to do siwak Meaning he used to clean his mouth with a siwak حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن أبي الزنادي عن الأعرج عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لولا أن أشق على أمتي If it was not for the fact that I would make difficult for my nation, for my people أو على الناس or on الناس, the people in general لأمرتهم I would have commanded them بالسواك with the سواك مع كل صلاة with every prayer so important was siwak to the Prophet ﷺ that he wanted to make it necessary for the people that for every prayer they should do siwak. But he knew that it, it would be difficult for the people to do siwak for every salah. And this is the reason why he did not make it obligatory on them. Now, what do we learn from this? That even though it's not obligatory, the words, what do they tell us? That it's definitely encouraged. It's definitely recommended that for every prayer... When a person performs wudu, he must also clean his mouth. Now, if for the five daily prayers it is recommended to use the siwak, then what about Jumu'ah? What about Jumu'ah? It would be even more recommended. right? But from this hadith, what else do we learn? The compassion 
of the Prophet ﷺ for his nation, for people in general, that even though he liked something so much, he saw the benefits in it, yet he did not make it compulsory for the people. Why? Because he knew that it would be difficult for them. So sometimes it happens that we realize that certain things are very important, they are very beneficial, and they should be made a must. Hmm? Whether it is for the family or you know, in a workplace, the people who are working under you, in any capacity. You know, when you feel that something is necessary, you want to make it an obligation for everybody. But when you know that it's going to be difficult, then whose sunnah should you adopt? The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Don't make it obligatory on them. Tell them, encourage them, and leave the matter to them. Because it's quite possible that we see something as very important, very helpful, very necessary, but other people don't. And when we force them, then we are making things difficult for them. And when we will make things difficult for them, will they be interested in, in what we're telling them? No. They will rebel. Like for example, children. You know, sometimes they're forced to do certain things. You know, really forced. And it comes to a point where they don't want to listen anymore. So unless, you know, it's a haram halal situation, don't make everything mandatory. You know, like for example, you might find it very helpful that every day in the morning, you know, pray to nafil. And you might have this as a habit for yourself. And for every little thing you do, istikhara. Okay? Now, telling your husband all the time, please, please, before you leave for work, pray to rakah. Please. And then later, did you pray to rakah when you got to work? And then asking them over and over, did you do istikhara? Did you do istikhara? You've told them once, leave it to them. Please don't say again and again and again. You see the benefits and we hope inshallah one day they will also see them. But when we force people to do something that we like, then we are, you know, it's counterproductive. Of course, when they will do it voluntarily, willingly, lovingly, then certainly they will be more committed to it. Then you don't have to keep an eye on them all the time. Hmm? I remember the our pediatrician, he told us that you know, children, there are certain things that they will naturally develop. They will naturally grow out of those things. Or there are other things that they will naturally develop. You don't see a 10-year-old boy in a diaper. Right? Likewise, you don't see a 12-year-old boy eating in such a way that all the food is falling out of the plate. But a 2-year-old child, you can expect both of these things from them. So don't be too harsh with a 2-year-old child and expect them to eat in the most perfect way. And expect your two-year-old to grow out of diapers. No. Realize that eventually they will grow out of it. So don't be harsh with them on things which are beyond their control and on things which they will naturally grow out of or develop over time. Right? So remember that spiritual development, even that takes time. Sometimes it happens because we are attending regular classes. We have studied the Qur'an. We are you know, studying hadith every day. We want that the entire family should change. The entire family should be doing certain things. You know, every person should be fasting every single day of, you know, the first nine days of the hijjah, for example. And if you hear somebody saying, no, I'm not going to fast today. I'm going to fast on the weekend. You feel like, why? Because perhaps they don't know or they don't remember the importance of the hijjah the way you do. You just heard an hour and a half lecture and they didn't. They heard something last year. Now, inshallah, hopefully they will hear something in the Friday khutbah. Inshallah. But don't compare yourself with other people or other people with yourself all the time. 
that if I am doing this, they should also be doing this. No, you like it for yourself. You see the benefits. Don't think everybody views it the same way. And this is very, very important. Look at the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ. He wanted to make it obligatory on the people to do siwak for every salah. But he knew it was going to be difficult. So he did not. And this kind of compassion, every mother, every father, every teacher, every leader must have. حدثنا أبو معمر قال حدثنا عبد الوارث قال حدثنا شعيب بن الحبحاب حدثنا أنس قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أكثرت عليكم في السواك أكثرت I have done much I have said much عليكم for you في السواك concerning the سواك meaning how many times I have told you about سواك I cannot emphasize it anymore I cannot tell you any more than this How many times I have told you, how many times I have encouraged you, how many times reminded you through my words and also through my actions. And this also shows that there is a constant reminder needed for this. You know, for example, children, they need to be reminded every time to brush their teeth. Don't take it for granted that if you've told them once, they'll do it. Right? And at the same time, don't bully them. Be nice in the way that you remind them. Because look at the way the Prophet ﷺ used to remind people. حدثنا محمد بن كثير قال أخبرنا سفيان عن منصور وحسين عن أبي وائل عن حذيفة قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا قام من الليل يشوص فاه The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم when he used to get up in the night to perform the night prayer what would he do? يشوص فاه يشوص meaning he would rinse out his mouth and use the siwak to thoroughly clean the mouth and this includes the sides the top teeth and the bottom teeth on the tongue as well as the top of the mouth, okay, on the inside. So, yashusu, all over. Just like when you're rinsing your mouth and the water reaches everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. The back, the front, the top, the bottom, you know, above the surface of the tongue and beneath the tongue. So likewise, yashusu fahu, he would pass the siwak all over the mouth. Okay, all over the mouth. And this shows that the siwak should be done not just on the teeth, but also on the gums and the tongue. So, If he did siwak for the night prayer, then what about Jumu'ah? Of course, for Jumu'ah also. Bab man tasawwaka bi siwaki ghayrihi. Man tasawwaka, whoever does siwak, bi siwaki, with the siwak of ghayrihi, other than him. Meaning, someone using someone else's siwak. Why would he do that? Because he doesn't have one of his own. You know, it's like women at the time of the Prophet ﷺ when the ayat of hijab came. All women did not have, you know, such hijabs that they could walk out with, right? And some women, they could not afford to buy such clothing that they would wear on top of their regular clothing. So when they would go out, what would they do? They would share the jilbabs. You know that? They would share the jilbabs. So for example, two sisters are going together and they have one shawl and they're together, you know, Covering both of themselves with one shawl. Okay? So they would borrow from each other. Why? Because you can't leave hijab. You have to do it. So when you're going out of the house, if you don't have one of your own, borrow from somebody else or share with somebody else. So likewise, if a person is going for the Friday prayer, he doesn't have a siwak of his own. Should he go without cleaning his mouth or should he borrow somebody else's? Borrow. But don't compare a siwak with a toothbrush. Okay? Because this hadith will further explain. Okay? First of all, a toothbrush is made with plastic bristles, right? Whereas a siwak, it's such that it naturally cleans itself. 
Okay, it's naturally antibacterial, you can say. And besides a siwak, you can always break it. And you can cut it and make it fresh all over. And this is what the hadith shows to us. Not that somebody else's toothbrush, you, know, you just pick it up and use it. And somebody else's siwak, you pick it up and you use it. No. حدثنا إسماعيل قال حدثني سليمان بن بلال قال قال هشام بن عروة أخبرني أبي عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قال دخل عبد الرحمن بن أبي بكر عائشة رضي الله عنها said that عبد الرحمن the son of Abu Bakr رضي الله عنه and who was he? the brother of Aisha رضي الله عنها he came to who? دخل he entered obviously he entered the house of عائشة رضي الله عنها and when he came in ومعه سواك with him was a سواك يستن به and he was cleaning his mouth with it. So he came into the house of Aisha radiallahu anha and he was using a miswak at that time. He had it in his hand. فَنَظَرَ إِلَيْهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ So the Prophet وسلم, he saw him. He saw him and he was looking at Abdul Rahman that he's got a miswak and he's cleaning his mouth with it. And think about it, if you have something and somebody's looking at it, what does it mean? They want it. Of course. You know the feeling. Right? So, فَقُلْتُ لَهُ So Aisha radiallahu anha, she realized that, she sensed that, and she said to him, meaning her brother, أَعْطِنِي هَذَا السِّوَاكِ Give me this siwak. يَا عَبْدَ الرَّحْمَانُ وَعَبْدَ الرَّحْمَانُ فَأَعْطَانِيهِ So he gave it to me. فَقَصَمْتُهُ So I broke it. Aisha radiallahu anha saying that he gave it to me, his siwak, and I broke it. ثُمَّ then مَضَغْتُهُ Then I softened it. Meaning I chewed it. Because you have to chew a siwak in order to soften it so that you can use it. فَأَعْطَيْتُهُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. And then I gave it to the Prophet فَاسْتَنَّ بِهِ And then he cleaned his mouth with it. وَهُوَ While he مُسْتَسْنِدْ He was reclining, leaning إِلَى صَدْرِ Against my chest. And this happened when? When? In the last moments of the Prophet وسلم's life. In his final sickness, because he was in the apartment of Aisha anha, And Aisha anha, she was the one who was taking care of him constantly and when he was with her obviously the close companions they would come to visit and someone who was mahram to Aisha anha, of course they would come of course they would come so her brother her father they came so when her brother came Abdul Rahman he had a miswak Aisha anha, she was so perceptive that if the Prophet was looking at the siwak that means he wants it and this is the quality of a good companion Companion, I said, not just wife, but even a friend, a sister, you know, a mother, even a husband, in whatever capacity, when you're with someone, then, you know, when you love them, that love makes you perceptive. That you perceive their needs, you know, you recognize their needs, even before they tell you. The other person doesn't need to use words, right? Their eyes will tell you what they want. And when you love someone in this way, and when you sincerely want the best for another person in this way, it is only then that you can benefit them. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she was so perceptive, she understood what the Prophet ﷺ wanted, and without even the Prophet ﷺ asking, she, she got the miswak for him. Now we see here that she took the miswak, she broke it, and then she chewed it in order to soften it. And then she gave it to the Prophet ﷺ. Notice she didn't rinse it before giving it to him. Even though it was fresh, unused, but still it had been in her mouth because she was 
chewing it and softening it. Because Aisha radiallahu and the Prophet they loved each other so much that there would be times when Aisha radiallahu would take a piece of meat and and bite it. And she would put it down and the Prophet would pick it up and bite it from the same place where she had bitten it. Hmm? So they had this level of comfort with each other because they loved one another. So Aisha radiallahu knew that if she chewed the miswak for him, he wouldn't mind. Not even a little bit. And this just shows how loving the Prophet ﷺ was as a husband. And how caring he was. And how Aisha was also very loving. Because sometimes, you know, women have this complaint that my husband is not loving. But the thing is that how much loving is the woman, is the wife towards her husband? Is she perceptive of his needs? Or does she stay in the house as if he's not even there? You know, sometimes you're sitting before the other and they're eating and they're looking here and there. You know they need water. But sometimes what happens, we think to ourselves, why should I have to get up? He can also get up. I laid the whole table. I prepared the food. I mean, this is not India. You know, where the wife is serving her husband. This is Canada. I mean, men even have to help themselves. You know, whatever it is, when you love someone, you want to serve them. Okay? And it's both ways. It's always a two-way street. If you want your relationship to improve with anybody, whether it is your spouse or your children, anybody, start serving them. Show them your love. Show them that you care for them. Give them attention. Notice their needs. Be sensitive towards them. And then you will receive the love and attention. We demand and we don't get anything. And that actually makes a relationship much worse. But when a person is giving, 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 that will make the relationship healthy. Yes, there are times or situations when a person feels that he's being abused, his love is being abused, or the service that they're giving is being abused. Okay, it can be in certain situations, but generally, people are not that hard-hearted. Generally. And even the most hard-hearted people, what happens with them? There are moments when they soften up. They will admit. They will acknowledge. So in whatever capacity you are, whether as a daughter or a daughter-in-law or a wife or a mother, when you're serving others, because generally this falls on the shoulders of women, right? Serving others. So when this comes on you, don't take it as a burden. Just be loving. And inshallah you'll receive the love. But then we also learn from this that the saliva of a person is clean. Okay? It is tahir. It's not najis. It is not impure. It is clean. Because if it was impure, Aisha radiallahu would not have given the miswak to the Prophet Then we also see over here that one of the last things the Prophet did before his death was he cleaned his mouth. He did this for every salah. Right? And for the night prayer. For the Jumu'ah salah. And also before his death. Because salah is a meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a time when the angels come and witness your recitation, your prayers, your du'as, they witness it. So much so that when a person is reciting the Qur'an in his salah, the angels, you know, they draw very, very close. They directly take in the recitation of the mouth, from the mouth of the reciter to 
their own mouth. They, they just take it. They love the recitation of the Qur'an. And death is also what? The angels come to take the soul of a person for his meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet ﷺ, he was clean physically also, physically also when he died, when he passed away. الَّذِينَ تَتَوَفَّاهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ طَيِّبِينَ Those whom the angels take their souls at the time of death while they are clean. Clean how? Spiritually as well as physically. Then we also see over here that the Prophet ﷺ, he died in her house. Right? I mean, not directly from this hadith, but the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was in the house of Aisha anha, she was taking care of him. In this hadith, we see that he was reclining against her chest. Reclining against her chest, leaning against her. Like she was supporting him because he was not able to sit up himself. And the Prophet ﷺ died in her house and on her lap, you know, while his head was on her lap. And on her day, and this shows to us the fadila the high rank of Aisha radiallahu anha. And this shows to us that if we are ever given the opportunity to serve someone and serve them really at their last time, at their last moments, then it is a, a great opportunity. Also one more thing I want you to notice. The Prophet ﷺ is reclining against Aisha radiallahu anha and her brother walks in. What does Aisha radiallahu anha do? Go two feet away from the Prophet ﷺ? What does she do? She stays where she is. She's not embarrassed by it. Because it's not considered appropriate in certain cultures or in certain households if a husband and wife are sitting next to each other even. Or if they show that they know each other. That they should treat each other as if they are strangers. That the husband has returned from a trip and the wife wishes to shake hands with him or at least hug him or something, you know, show some kind of happiness that I'm glad to see you. But no, no, no. You stay where you are and I stay where I am. And hi, hello, from far. And that's, we can communicate over text messages. There's no harm as long as this interaction or physical contact is appropriate. And this is perfectly appropriate. She's sitting and the Prophet ﷺ is reclining against her because she is supporting him. So likewise, if, if a woman is sitting next to her husband at the dinner table, there is no harm. If she shakes hands with him in front of her father, there is no harm. Okay? If they touch each other, there is no harm. Don't act like you are strangers. Bab ma yuqra'u fi salat al-fajri yawm al-jum'ati Ma yuqra'u What should be recited fi salat al-fajri In the fajr prayer, yawm al-jum'ah on the day of Friday. Friday is special from the beginning. Okay? Because you see that for the Friday prayer, before the prayer is the khutbah. Right? And for that, what should a person do? Take a bath. And when is that bath going to be taken? Obviously, before coming to the masjid. Dress up, put some nicer clothes on, fragrance, oil, uh, you know, look nice, feel nice, and then come to the masjid. And over here we see that the preparation for the Friday prayer begins from the time of Fajr. So what should be recited in the Fajr prayer on the day of Friday? حدثنا أبو نعيم قال حدثنا سفيان عن سعد بن إبراهيم عن عبد الرحمن هو ابن هرمز عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقرأ في الجمعة في صلاة الفجر. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he used to recite on Friday in the Fajr prayer 
What would he recite? Alif Lam Mim Tanzil, meaning Sajda, Surah Sajda. Wahal Ata Al Insan, meaning Surah Al Insan or Surah Al Dhar. And from the order, we see that in the first rakah it was Surah Al Sajda, and in the second rakah it was Surah Al Insan. Okay. And what is the hikmah of reciting these surahs in the Fajr prayer on Friday? What do these surahs talk about? So Surah Al-Sajda talks about what? The beginning of creation as well as the end of the creation. Right? Meaning the day of judgment. There is mention of reward and punishment. Right? And when is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam? Which day? Friday. When will the day of judgment occur? On Friday. Right? Surah Al-Insan also talks about Jannah. And reward in the Akhirah. And right at the beginning, هَلْ أَتَى عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ حِينُ مِنَ الدَّهْرِ لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْئًا مَذْكُورًا إِنَّا خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانِ مِنْ نُطْقَةٍ أَمْشَادٍ So, in these surahs, what is mentioned is the creation of man, worship, ibadullah are mentioned. Right? A day of judgment, Jannah. And these things, I mean, they have something to do with the day of Friday. The Prophet ﷺ said the best day that the sun has risen upon is Friday. On it, Adam was created. On it, he entered paradise. And on it, he was expelled from it. And the hour will not be established except on Friday. So on Friday, it was that man was sent to earth also. Friday, Adam ﷺ was created. And after some time passed, Allahu alam how many weeks. But on the day of Friday, Adam ﷺ was sent to the earth. And on Friday, the day of judgment shall happen. And then what will happen? People will go to Jannah. So there is a good reminder in these surahs of all of these important events which obviously have something to do with the day of Friday. Also, in Surah Al-Sajdah, what is it? A sajda. There is a sajda of Tirawa. And some scholars, they said that the hikmah behind reciting Surah Al-Sajdah in Salatul Fajr on Friday is to have an additional sajda, sujood. So they said that if a person does not know Surah to sajda, then he should recite some other surah that has sajda tilawa. That also has sajda tilawa. So for example, Surah Al-Alaq. If a person knows that, he should recite it. Right? Why? Because the objective, the hikmah is an extra sujood. Alright. Now, notice the words of the hadith. كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ يَقْرَأُ كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ What does كَانَ show? I mean, this was his habit. Okay? This was his habit. And this means that we should also try to make this into a habit. And if a person doesn't know, if a person knows both of these surahs, وَلِلَّهِ الْحَمْدُ If a person knows that he should definitely recite these surahs in this prayer. And if he does not, then at least try to memorize the first three ayat. The first few verses. At least, you know, have a share of this reward, of the sunnah, as much as possible, inshallah. The day of Friday, it is a very, very important day. In another hadith, which is in As-Silsilatul Sahihah, we learn that the Prophet ﷺ said, On the day of judgment, Allah will bring the days of the week in certain forms. Meaning in a physical form. Just as deeds will also take a physical form on the day of judgment, so days will also be brought in a physical form on the Day of Judgment. 
and he will bring the day of friday in a beautifully radiant and shining form so the day of friday will come in a very bright shining like glowing form and the people of friday will surround it the people of friday who are the people of friday who give importance to the day of friday who take a bath and recite surah al-kahf and go for the friday prayer and follow the sunan so the people of friday who worship allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on friday they will surround the day of friday like a bride is surrounded when taken to her groom have you ever seen that image like you know when a bride she's all decked up and everybody's you know around her so much importance is being given to her if you want to know where the bride is look for the crowd correct so they will also surround the day of friday and why is it that people go to the bride because the bride is important to them and especially who surrounds the bride the close friends and family members people who have some attachment to the bride so likewise on the day of judgment friday who will be close to it the people who give importance to that day and it will enlighten the way for them because friday will appear in the form of a light right and the people of friday will be gathered around it so the day of friday will enlighten the way for them so they will walk in its light and their colors like white snow and their fragrance like musk as if they were in mountains of kafur heaps of kafur so it will not just be a source of light for them but also a source of fragrance for them and men and jinn will look at them not turning away out of amazement the rest of the creation will just stare at the people of friday they look at how radiant look at how beautiful they've become and look at this amazing day which is with them and it's, it's as if they are immersed in fragrance and they will look in amazement not turning away their gaze until the people of friday will enter jannah this will be their state until they enter jannah and none will mingle with them meaning none will reach their high ranks except the muazzin so the people of friday their ranks will be higher in jannah and who will reach their level only the muazzin because he used to call the people to prayer so the day of friday in itself is very important this is why a person must not give attention to just the friday prayer and think that oh if i have gone to the masjid and performed the friday prayer that's sufficient no there are things to be done before and there are things to be done after right begin from the time of fajr and then after that taking a bath and getting ready reciting the quran and throughout the day remembering allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sending salawat on the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam before the friday prayer as well as after the friday prayer bab al-jumu'ati fi al-qurwa wal-mudun the friday prayer in al-qurwa and mudun or mudun qurwa plural qarya and what is qarya a small town because remember that qarya literally means tajammu' to gather together so it's when a group of people are living together close to one another so you're talking about a population okay now this population could be small it can also be big but generally the word qarya when it's used in contrast with other words that are used for cities then qarya is used for a small population what is it used for a small population meaning like a town okay a village and mudun madina on the other hand is used for big cities okay 
So, Al-Jumu'ati fil Qura wal Mudun. The Friday prayer should be established in smaller cities, small villages, and also in bigger cities, larger cities. Now, remember that in general, it is not necessary that Jumu'ah be performed only when there is a large congregation or when there is a huge population. It can also be established where there are a few Muslims that are present, Qura. So for example, three, four families live in a small village, Muslim families. Okay? Or for example, there's only 10 to 15. In the masjid, when the men come together to pray, it's barely two rows. Or their masjid is also very small. You remember Farooq Masjid, how small it used to be? Like a, a tiny house. Why? Because before, many, many years ago, that's all that was needed. There were such few Muslims. Okay? But then gradually what happened? The population increased and there was a need that the masjid should be bigger. Right? So, this is just an example. When there is a large population of Muslims in a Medina, in a big city, then it's understood that Jumu'ah will be established. But when it's a smaller city, small population, very few Muslims, over there also, should Jumu'ah be established? It should be. The rule is that when there is a Jumu'ah being performed somewhere, meaning five daily prayers are being performed in congregation. And why is that so? Because there are so many people over there. It's busy. Then over there, Jumu'ah should also be established. But if a person is alone, he's all by himself. Okay? Like for example, he's traveling. He's in a new city. And he checks online, there's no masjid even over there. So is Jumu'ah going to be established over there? No. Is he going to give the adhan, give the khutbah and everything himself? No, he's not going to. He's not going to pray Salatul Jumu'ah. He's just going to pray Salatul Zuhur. Okay? Likewise, Sometimes, you know, you're traveling and there's a, a small city or a small town and there's a masjid. And that masjid, nobody's there. Nobody's there. You go on Friday, even nobody's there. Is it necessary to establish Friday prayers over there? No. Now, remember that the people who lived in the desert at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, what would they do? On Friday, they would come to Medina in order to perform Salatul Jumu'ah. Okay? Remember that during the life of the Prophet ﷺ, there were many places in the outskirts of Medina where there were several masajid. Right? We have learned the hadith earlier also where this one companion, he said that, please come to my house and perform the salah over there so that I can pray there when I'm not able to go to my people and lead them because of rain. Correct? So this means that salat al-jama'ah was performed in several places, okay, throughout Medina, especially in the outskirts of Medina. But when it came to Friday prayer, because Jumu'ah is from Jamr, then everybody would come to the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. They would leave their small masajid and they would go to the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. Even the people would come from the desert. They would not perform their own Jumu'ah. They would go to the main masjid. Okay, And from this we learn that if a person is in the city, and there is a masjid that is populated all the time, then he should go and perform Salat al-Jumu'ah over there. Okay? And if he is far from such a masjid, then is he required to perform Jumu'ah? No, he's not going to. You understand? He's not going to. Now let me let me give you a few examples so that it becomes clearer. 
there is a Muslim student who goes to a university every day, five days a week. And whenever it's time for salah, people gather together and they pray their salah. There is a masjid close to the university, but it takes about 20 minutes to go there, drive there. It's in the city, but it takes about 20 minutes to go there. Now on Friday, there are about two to 300 Muslim students present in that university. Can they perform Jumu'ah Salah in the university? Yes, they can. Why? Two, three hundred people. And if all of them go to the masjid, 20 minutes there, you know, parking, salah, and then coming back, what would happen? They would miss their class or, you know, there are many repercussions, right? And when there is such a large presence of Muslims, then why not establish a Friday prayer over there? However, if there are only a few people and the masjid is, you know, it's possible for them to go, then what is preferable? They go to the masjid. Now, let me give you another example. In a workplace, there are five Muslims that work in a building where there are a total of 200 people. When it comes to Dhuhr Salah, Asr Salah, they all get together, those five Muslims, and they pray. When it comes to Jumu'ah, should they make a Jumu'ah in their office? No. Because the masjid is close by. They don't generally go for salah because they can pray in Jumu'ah. Right? But for Jumu'ah, what should they do? Go to the masjid. What if there is no masjid or the masjid is way too far? 50 minutes away. 50 minutes away. And there are people who work in such places. You know, masjid is way too far. They're not able to go. Or an hour away. You know, alhamdulillah, we live in a place where there are masajid everywhere. So we don't have these issues. But there are people who do end up in such situations, even temporarily, where masjid is too far. Then is Jumu'ah obligatory on them? No. Are they going to start their own Jumu'ah in the masjid, in the workplace with five people? No. But if they see that this is turning into routine, that I'm here, this this contract of mine is for two years. Does it mean for two years I'm not going to pray Salat al-Jumu'ah? Then the minimum requirement for a Jumu'ah is three people. But remember, it's not in every situation. The masjid is just five minutes away, 20 minutes away. And instead of going to the masjid, people say, let's just pray in our office. No. It is for a situation where a person doesn't have the option of the masjid. The scholar said that with regard to the number required to hold Jumu'ah prayers, we do not know of any text which stipulates a specific number. Because there is no text which stipulates a specific number. The scholars differed concerning the number required. Among the opinions which have been stated concerning that is the view that it may be done if there are three men who are local residents. And this was reported from many scholars such as Imam Ahmad, Al-Awza'i, and so on and so forth. Ibn Uthaymeen, he said that the most correct scholarly opinion is that the number that is sufficient for Jumu'ah is three. An imam to deliver the khutbah, a mu'addin to give the call to prayer, and a worshipper to answer the call. Okay? But Jumu'ah will be performed by these three people when? When they're not able to go to a masjid at all. And when it's turning into a habit. You understand? It's turning into a habit. Then they cannot leave Jumu'ah altogether. They cannot leave Jumu'ah for two years. You know, for example, a person, because of their work, they're living in a city where there are no Muslims, and they only find two other Muslims over there. They've met them here and there. But they know that, okay, these guys also have a contract in this city. So there's no masjid, and they're there for two years. Does it mean they're going to abandon the Friday prayer? 
No, there's strict warning for that. If a person misses the Friday prayers for three weeks in a row, then what will happen? Nifaq. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. You remember the incident that's referred to in Surah At-Tawbah, where a man, he said that, O Prophet ﷺ, please make dua for me that Allah give me wealth so that I can give sadaqah. So what happened? The Prophet ﷺ made dua for him, and that man, he had so many animals that in order to take them to pasture, he would have to go outside of Medina. And then when he had to go so often, what did he do? He left Medina, and he started living in the outskirts of Medina. And then what happened? He got so busy in them that he stopped coming for Jumu'ah even. He made a promise and he broke it. And as a result, what happened? فَأَعْقَبَهُمْ نِفَاقٌ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ In a hadith, we learned the Prophet ﷺ said that my ummah will be destroyed through such and such. And one of the things was milk. The Sahaba said, milk? He said, yes, because people will give so much importance to this milk, you know, food, that they will move away, you know, from greater populations. And when they will move away, obviously what will happen? They will be cut off from the masjid. They will be cut off from the Muslim community. They will forget Islamic practices and their children will not know at all. And what will happen? One generation to the next, Islam will be forgotten. Right? It will be forgotten. So remember, in summary, what do we learn? When there is a masjid where Salatul Jumu'ah is being established, there is a large congregation. What should men do? They should go there. Okay, But if they are in a situation where they cannot go at all, they cannot go because it's too far, it takes too long, it's impossible for them, then in that situation, first of all, they will not pray Salatul Jumu'ah. But if it's turning into an every week thing, then what will they do? Minimum three people, they can start their Salatul Jumu'ah. One person to give the khutbah, another person to give the adhan, and another person to... Respond to the call. حدثنا محمد بن المثنى قال حدثنا أبو عامر العقدي قال حدثنا إبراهيم بن طهمان عن أبي جمرة الضبعي عن ابن عباس أنه قال ابن عباس فضل الله عنه said that إن أول جمعة indeed the first Friday prayer جمعت that was جمعت meaning that was established بعد after جمعة the Friday prayers في مسجد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم in the masjid of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was which one? في مسجد عبد القيس it was established in the masjid of عبد القيس and where was that? بجواثة which was at جواثة من البحرين from Bahrain now what does this hadith mean? that the first Jumu'ah that was established in Islam after the masjid of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was in which masjid? in the masjid of عبد القيس Banu Abdul Qais, they were primarily inhabitants of Bahrain. Okay? And if you see Bahrain, it's to the east of Saudi Arabia. Okay? Do you look at any picture, any image, map? What will you see? Bahrain, very, very small, very tiny, towards the east of Saudi Arabia. And at the time of the Prophet, ﷺ, the Banu Abdul Qais, they lived in Juwatha. And Juwatha is what is now Ahsa with a scene and Hamza at the end, Ahsa in the east of Saudi Arabia. So very close to Bahrain. So this is why they said Juwatha min al-Bahrain. Now if you think about it, this place is quite far from Medina. It cannot be expected that people would travel from so far to the Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ to perform the Friday prayers. Okay. Now, 
Remember that the people of Abdul Qais at Jawatha, they were the first city after Medina to embrace Islam. Medina, what happened? The entire population embraced Islam. Yes, there were exceptions here and there. The father and so-and-so, the uncle of so-and-so, the wife of so-and-so. And gradually what happened? Even those people eventually embraced Islam to the point that there were only three groups remaining in Medina. Muslims, Jews, and thirdly, hypocrites, who were also apparently Muslim. So mainly two groups. There were no mushrikeen left in Medina very soon after the Prophet ﷺ migrated. And there was no other city that was like this at that time. And then the people of Abdul Qais, the entire population, they embraced Islam. And they embraced Islam willingly. Later on what happened? When the Muslims were becoming victorious, then people would come and for their safety, they would embrace Islam on the outward. Okay? And just so that they would not be at war with the Muslims. And you know about this, you've studied this in Surah Tawbah, which is why when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, many people, what did they do? Ridda. Apostasy happened, right? But Abdul Qais, these people were the first ones, the first city, the first town, you can say, that embraced Islam willingly. And they were far. And this is why their masjid was the first masjid after the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ where the Friday prayers were established. Which shows to us that the people of Medina and nearby areas, where would they go for Friday prayer? Where would they go? They would go to Medina. And those who lived too far, what would they do? They would not come. Except when they were able to. Because Jumu'ah is about Jammer. Remember, it's about a gathering. And a gathering is not of one or two people. It's not of one man. What is it? Minimum of Jammer is three. Okay? Now, this shows to us that smaller Jumu'ahs, okay, they're not that encouraged. You understand? A small congregation where people are coming together for Friday prayers, this is not encouraged. What is better? That that small congregation should go to a bigger masjid. You understand? Like for example, if in your own locality there is a small musalla, somebody's basement is converted into a musalla, or in your building there is a musalla, people gather together and they pray the five daily prayers. Doesn't mean that the Friday prayer should also be performed there? If the masjid is just five minutes away, ten minutes drive away, what is better? That the people of the musalla should go to the masjid. Why? What's the hikmah behind that? Hmm? For unity. Because if there's, you know, a Jumu'ah being performed here, Jumu'ah being performed here, Jumu'ah being performed over here, then this will lead to division. Isn't it? This will lead to division. And the purpose of Jumu'ah is that people get together. There's a huge congregation. The bigger, the better. So our goal on Friday should be to make every congregation bigger. And how will that be? That you leave your small congregation and go to the bigger one if you are able to do so. Go to that one. And also remember that on Jumu'ah, there is a khutbah also, in which there are many important reminders. There is very important advice. And, you know, an ordinary person who does not have much knowledge, okay, they can give a small khutbah, okay. But when you go to a main masjid, and a scholar over there is giving a khutbah, obviously, there is going to be a difference. Okay? Now, Alhamdulillah, over time, Muslim populations, they have increased a lot. To the point that every Friday, 
every masjid is full. Or is that not the case? Alhamdulillah, it is the case. So much so that if there are two masajid on the same road, what will you see? Both of them full. Correct? So remember that then it is not division. This is not dividing the people. This is what? Catering to the needs. Why? Because there is a demand, there is a need. If it was such that there was a masjid present, another masjid was established at the end of the same road, for example, and because of that masjid, the congregation of the first masjid reduced, then that's a problem. Then that's a problem. But if with the coming of the second masjid, the masajid only filled up, then what does it mean? That a need is being fulfilled. And in this situation, what should be done? Both should cooperate with each other. How? That for example, you know, establish the Friday prayer at different times, half an hour apart. So that if a person has missed one Jumu'ah, they can catch the other one. Or in different languages. Different languages, because that is also helpful. So, what is best? Work with one another. حدثنا بشر بن محمد قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا يونس عن الزهري قال أخبرنا سالم بن عبد الله عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول كلكم راعين ابن عمر said that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to say كلكم راعين each and every one of you is a shepherd what does it mean by that is responsible he has to look after somebody but a person might say, but I'm being looked after by my mother and my father. I'm not in charge over anybody. Are you still in charge? Yes. Over who? Yourself. Your hands, your feet, your tongue, your eyes. And really you have to guard them like a shepherd has to guard his flock. Right? Even if you have no responsibility, you are responsible for yourself. So, كُلُّكُمْ رَعِينَ وَزَادَ اللَّيْسُ And Lays, when he narrated this hadith, he added that قَالَ Yunus Yunus said that كَتَبَ رُزَيْقُ بْنُ حَكِيمُ Ruzayq ibn Hakim, he wrote a letter to إِلَى ibn Shihab. He, he wrote a letter to ibn Shihab. You see, عَنِ الزُّهْرِيِّ Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri in the narrators. Okay? So, Ruzayq wrote a letter to ibn Shihab. And Lays said that وَأَنَا مَعْهُ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ I was with him on that day bi Wadil Qura at Wadil Qura. With who? With Ibn Shihab. I was with Ibn Shihab in Wadil Qura. Wadil Qura is the name of a place. I was with him over there when he received the letter of Ruzaiq. And what was in the letter? A question. Because Ibn Shihab Zuri was a scholar. So he received this letter and in that letter was a question that Hal Tara an Ujamira. Do you think that I should establish the Jumu'ah? Why did Ruzayq ask this question? Because Ruzayq wa Ruzayqun amilun ala ardin ya'maluha. He used to do some work on a piece of land. Okay? And what kind of work? Obviously agriculture. Okay? And this place, farmland, this is far from the main city. Okay? So this is why he asked this question that I'm far from the city. I'm constantly working over here. I've been placed in charge, you know, over here to look after this land and ensure that the agriculture is being done. وَفِيهَا جَمَاعَةٌ And in it, meaning in that land where these people were working, there was a jama'ah, a group in a Sudan, of Sudan, of certain black people, meaning the people were with him. وَغَيْرِهِمْ And also other than them. So basically he said that Ruzayq was not alone over here 
he was placed in charge of a certain group of people and together they were working on this land so he wasn't alone there was a whole team of workers with him but he was their leader and they were far from the city وَرُزَيْقٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ عَلَىٰ أَيْلَىٰ And Ruzayq, he was at Ayla. Ayla is the name of the place, so this is where this land was, where they were working. فَقَتَبَ بْنُ شِحَابٍ And so he sent this question to Ibn Shihab. And Al-Layth, he's saying that وَأَنَا أَسْمَعُ And I was listening. Meaning listening to Ibn Shihab when he was responding to the letter, dictating the answer, and the answer was being written. يَأْمُرُهُ He was ordering him أَن يُجَمِّعَ That he should perform the Jumu'ah. So Ibn Shihab, he gave the fatwa that Ruzayq, he should perform the Jumu'ah. يُخْبِرُهُ أَنَّ سَالِمًا And he was informing him, meaning he was using as evidence that Salim حَدَّثَهُ أَنَّ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنِ عُمَرَ يَقُولُ That Abdullah ibn Umar would say سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ يَقُولُ that he heard the Prophet ﷺ saying, كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ So he used this as evidence, this hadith as evidence, that each one of you is a shepherd and each one of you is going to be questioned about his flock. What's the relevance of this to Jumu'ah? Who is the shepherd over here? Ruzayq. Right? And who's his flock? The people who are working under him. And even though it's a small group of them, still it is a group of them. And each person is a shepherd. So the leader has to look after the followers. Right? Or his subjects. Correct? So a leader in any capacity. So if you have been appointed as a leader over this group of workers, then it is your responsibility to lead them in in Friday prayers also. So he uses hadith as evidence. Let's complete the hadith. Al-imamu ra'in. The imam is a shepherd. وَمَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ And he will be questioned about his flock. وَالرَّجُلُ رَاعٍ فِي أَهْلِهِ And a man is a shepherd amongst his family. وَهُوَ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ And he will be questioned about his flock, meaning his family. وَالْمَرْأَةُ And a woman is رَاعِيَّةٌ is a shepherd فِي بَيْتِ زَوْجِهَا In the home of her husband. وَمَسْؤُولَةٌ And she will be questioned عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهَا About her flock, meaning over those whom she is placed in charge. وَالْخَادِمُ And the servant رَاعٍ He is a shepherd فِي مَالِ سَيِّدِهِ With regards to the wealth of his master. Even a servant. He is a shepherd, meaning made in charge of the wealth of his master, of his boss. وَمَسْؤُولٌ And he will be questioned عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ About his flock. قَالَ He said, وَحَسِبْتُ And I also think, أَنْ قَدْ قَالَ That he said, وَالرَّجُلُ And a man, رَاعٍ He is a shepherd فِي مَالِ أَبِيهِ With regards to, with respect to the wealth of his father. وَمَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِ And he will be questioned about his flock. وَكُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَمَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِ Each one of you is a shepherd and will be questioned about his, about his flock. So in this hadith, what do we learn? That through so many ways it is clarified that each person is in charge, responsible over those who are under him in any capacity. Whether those are people or objects. Okay? So for example, a man, he's responsible over his family. Okay? But a servant, he's responsible over what? Objects. Okay? An employee 
is responsible over what? The things that he's been appointed as in charge over. And he will be answerable for that. So remember that in any capacity, when we are made responsible over something or someone, yes, we are answerable to those who are above us in authority. Whether it is the employer or the boss or the husband or the parent or the actual owner, whatever it may be, whoever it may be. But in addition to that, we are also answerable to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So many times it happens that we can satisfy the people who are above us, okay? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually knows what we are doing. And we are answerable to Him also with respect to our responsibilities, our commitments. Now, over here, this hadith is being used as an evidence for establishing the Jumu'ah prayer. Which means that as a leader, it is your responsibility to ensure that the people who are under you are they're also adhering to the religion correctly. You understand the connection? It's not just that you fulfill your duty. So for example, if you are in charge over your children, your responsibility is not just to make sure they're getting their food and their drink and their education, but also to make sure that they are learning their deen. They are developing their religious values and they're practicing their religion. And this obviously is only up to a certain age. After that, you don't have any control. You know in the Quran where we learn Men are responsible over women So قوامون in what sense? Generally it's understood as That the men have to You know provide for their wives And provide them a house You know a residence Accommodation Food and so on and so forth And this is why they have authority But قوام also means One who Ensures that his wife his family is on the right path. Is on the right path. So for instance, if a woman is you know, doing something wrong, the husband should stop her. The husband should advise her. You understand? This is his responsibility. The parents, they are required to spend on their children. But at the same time, they're also required to look after their spiritual development. This is something that should not be neglected. This is equally important. So, كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ Assalamu alaikum. The both things that you said, it's um, father's responsibility to take the... So I just uh, wanted to share my personal experience. My husband used to take time off. He set his schedule in a way that he doesn't take his lunch break because back then, you know, 30 years ago, these people doesn't know the concept of going to Juma prayer. So all you could do just, uh, you know, play around with his lunch hour. So he used to take his time off from work and pick up my son from his school and take him to the Juma prayer. And alhamdulillah, the um, facts were so deep that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the opportunity to start a Juma prayer in high school and even right now at university too. So, mashallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appreciated so much. And as you said, the uh, husbands are qawam. My daughter lives in Montreal and she's visiting me these days. And her husband, I don't know where did he get this information, and he uh, has been asking her to go 
Al-Huda, they have been teaching Aqidatul Wasatiyah, <laughs> go attend those class for two days, you know. So, subhanAllah, uh, he has been, uh, you know, doing his responsibility. And otherwise, she might be lazy, you know, staying home with the kids or something. But, subhanAllah, this is how they push your husbands when you have a push from husband. Then because then how can you say no? Right? But then this also means that we should be willing to accept that advice. You know, because sometimes we act as if I know everything and I know better than you. And I am very spiritual in my heart. You don't need to tell me. You don't need to advise me. So, But remember that it is his responsibility. right? And in any capacity, when a person has been placed in charge over others, then it is their responsibility to make sure that those under them are following their religion, are performing their obligations to their Lord. And what was mentioned over here that the father drove from work in his lunch break, picked up the son and took him to Jumur. This is so important because it's from a young age that children will develop the habit of Jumur. Hmm? You see, when a boy, he is seven years old, he is required to start performing the salah. At ten years, it's wajib. In, regardless of whether he has reached puberty or not, it's wajib. And earlier we learned in Bukhari that boys attending you know, Jumu'ah prayer as well as Jana'is and Eidain and so on and so forth. So, from a young age, they have to be taken to Jumu'ah. It cannot be expected that they will go themselves. So, if the father is doing it, well enough. But if the father is not able to, then who has to take the son? The mother has to. Right? Don't we take our children for swimming lessons and library and school every morning, every afternoon? Don't we do this? So likewise, it's necessary to take boys to Jumu'ah also. Because if they don't go for Jumu'ah, how will they get used to it? Hmm? And uh, later on, you never know, they could be in a situation where they have to give Jumu'ah. They have to give the khutbah. So they should have some experience. And what she's mentioning about her son, I found out that he's in a place where there are very few Muslims and he had to convince them that we should pray Jumu'ah. And they said, we don't have a khutib. He said, fine, I'll give the khutbah. So, mashallah, as a student, first of all, convincing people that come, pray Jumu'ah, okay, we don't have a khutib, I will try my best. And this is also very praiseworthy. One of the kids with a mom, with a pig, like almost, mashallah, she's three years, and she's standing praying whenever someone coming, especially when she see me, she wouldn't get up and she's say praying, praying. The other one beside her, she doesn't even know, she doesn't even bother to do it because the way you have to train them, you have to... Uh, you have to see from this. a young age. Is there Allah on those who... Those who do not attend the Jumu'ah prayer... Is there on them, meaning the obligation, to perform ghusl? So if a person is not going for the Friday prayer, do they still have to perform the ghusl? And who are those who are not attending the Friday prayer, who can stay back? Minan nisa'i, women, wasibyan, and children, him, and also other than them. Because it's possible that others besides them, meaning men, they don't go for Jumu'ah for a valid reason. Okay, now what could be a valid reason for men not going for Jumu'ah? Okay, sick, old, travel, huh? 
Okay, weather. Weather conditions are such that it's not safe to go to the masjid. Okay. Any other reason? We learned earlier that if a person is in a place where there is no Muslim population, okay, and it's not like an every week thing, it's just so happened that you're in a city for two weeks and over there you cannot find any Muslims, any masjid, obviously you're not going to go, you're not going to take a flight somewhere else to attend Jumu'ah prayer. Right? You don't have that time, you don't have that money. So in this situation, that man is not going to pray Jumu'ah. But it is Friday. Should he still take a bath? This is a question. Should he still take a bath? Okay. Now, there's a hadith in Abu Dawood which is regarded as authentic by many scholars that Jumu'ah is a duty that is required of every Muslim except for a slave, a woman, a child, or one who is sick. So amongst the four is also the slave. Okay? Because at that time, a slave, he didn't have choice of his own. I mean, if he had a non-Muslim master... And he said, no, you cannot go. You can't go. So can he go? No, he cannot. If he runs away, that in itself is a sin. Correct? So such people, you know, it could be that a person, you know, he starts work somewhere and the boss is not letting them go. Not allowing them. Right? It's possible. Sometimes people are trapped in, in these situations. So anyway, if a person happens to be in the situation where they're not going to perform Jumu'ah on Friday, should they still take a bath? وَقَالَ ibn Umar and Ibn Umar said, إِنَّمَا الْغُسْلُ Ghusl is only for who? Ala on those who? Man who? تَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ الْجُمُعَةِ Jumu'ah is wajib on. Why? Because ghusl is performed for the Jumu'ah Salah. Remember that. Ghusl is for what reason? For the Friday prayer. Okay? Not for the day of Friday. You understand? Ghusl is for Salatul Jumu'ah. Not for the day of Friday. If it was required for the day of Friday, then we would be required to take that bath when? At Fajr time. You understand? But, what do we learn? That it's recommended in fact that a person takes a bath just before going for Salatul Jumu'ah. Okay? So, if someone is not attending the Friday prayers, they're going to perform Salatul Zuhur at home, should they still take the ghusl? Is it mandatory on them? No, it's not mandatory on them. However, it is highly recommended. Why? Because there is, you know, taking a bath once a week is important anyway. Okay? And besides, if a person is not able to go for the Jumu'ah, at least he can have some feeling of Jumu'ah. حدثنا أبو اليمان قال أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال حدثني سالم بن عبد الله أنه سمع عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنهما يقول سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول من جاء منكم الجمعة Whoever amongst you comes for the Jumu'ah فليغتسل then he should take a bath. Notice it has been said, whoever from you comes to Jumu'ah, he should take a bath. Not every Friday, every one of you should take a bath. So ghusl is for Salatul Jumu'ah. It's a requirement for Salatul Jumu'ah. So whoever is coming, a man, a woman, a child, old person, they should perform ghusl. Okay? But if, for example, a woman, she's not able to, no harm. It's not fucked on her. Okay? But it's highly recommended.
Likewise a man, he's getting late for the Friday prayers. He was sleeping, he woke up. And now if he starts performing the ghusl, he'll miss it. So what should he do? He should not perform the ghusl, he should just do wudu and go. And we learned this earlier in detail. The example of Uthman radiallahu anhu. Remember when he went for Jumu'ah without ghusl? حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ مَسْلَمَةَ عَنْ مَالِكَ عَنْ صَفْوَانِ ابن سليم عن عطاء بن يسار عن ابي سعيد الخدري رضي الله عنه ان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال غسل يوم الجمعه واجب على كل محتلم now in this hadith what do we see that taking a bath on the day of friday is wajib on who on every muhtalim on every male who has reached the age of puberty now from this it seems that it's general whether they're going for jumu'ah or they're not going for jumu'ah they should take a bath hmm? Now again, we will look at this hadith in the context of the previous one. We have to keep both of them together. The previous hadith explains that ghusl is for the purpose of salat al-jumur. So those who are going, those who are muhtalim, what should they do? Take a bath. حدثنا مسلم بن إبراهيم قال حدثنا وهيب قال حدثنا ابن طاووس عن أبيه عن أبي هريرة قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم نحن الآخرون السابقون يوم القيامة We are the last ones yet we will be the first ones on the day of judgment meaning last ummah but first to enter Jannah on the day of judgment أوتوا الكتاب من قبلنا They were given the book before us meaning the Jews and the Christians وأوتيناه من بعدهم and we were given our book after them فَهَذَا الْيَوْمُ الَّذِي اِخْتَلَفُوا فِيهِ And this is the day in which they differed, concerning which they differed. Who did they differ with? Their prophets. Right? They were told, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Friday. The Jews said, no, 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 we're not going to do it on Friday, we're going to do it on Saturday. So what happened? The sabt was made difficult for them. إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ السَّبْتُ عَلَى الَّذِينَ اِخْتَلَفُوا فِيهِ Right? Because they differed with their prophets, that's why they chose Saturday for themselves. They differed from what they were told, what they were commanded. So as a result, they were told, okay, worship Allah on Saturday, and Saturday was made very difficult for them. The Christians, they differed also. How? They chose Sunday for themselves. فَهَدَانَ اللَّهِ But Allah guided us. So, alhamdulillah for this blessing that we were able to accept Friday. فَغَدًا So, the next day, لِلْيَهُودِ is for the Jews, meaning the day after Friday, meaning Saturday, is for the Jews. وَبَعْدَ غَدٍ لِلنَّصَارَ And the day after that, meaning after Saturday, which is Sunday, is for the Christians. فَسَكَتَ Then he was silent. Meaning then he became quiet. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, حَقٌ عَلَى كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ It is incumbent, it is necessary on every Muslim أَن يَغْتَسِلَ That he takes a bath. فِي كُلِّ In every سَبْعَةِ أَيَّامٍ Seven days. يَوْمًا At least one day. In the seven-day week, it is mandatory on every Muslim that he must take a bath at least once. So once a week, bath is mandatory. He should wash in it his head and his body. At least once a week. So you understand? You see, wudu, it's for salah. Ghusl of janaba, that is also for a reason. Hmm? But taking this bath, once a week bath, this is mandatory on every Muslim. Whether or not there is a need. If there is a need, like for example, Janaba, or purity after the menses has ended, then that is fard. Okay? But let's say that situation is not there. Then should a woman take a bath 
only when she ends her period? No. Once a week is mandatory. You see, At-Tahuru Shatrul Iman. Right? And our deen, it teaches us this Tahara. It teaches us this Tahara. This is just like every 40 days, at least every 40 days, what is necessary? That a person must remove the tafas from his body. Right? The unnecessary hair, nails and so on and so forth. He should remove that from the body. It's mandatory. Fard. It's wajib. It's an act of fitrah and you cannot delay this past 40 days. Right? So likewise, taking a bath once a week is is mandatory. Okay? And this is so beautiful. No matter what kind of a person, from what background, okay, our deen, it teaches us cleanliness. Right? So no matter who a Muslim is, which city, which village, which country, third world, first world, doesn't matter. A Muslim should be clean. And if really we follow this, at least once a week bath. In some countries, it's so cold in the winter like we have over here. But they don't have heating like we have. If it's 16 degrees, that means you're constantly in 16 degrees. And that begins to feel like 6 degrees. You understand? And that means the bathrooms are also freezing cold. And that means that heating up the water is going to be very, very difficult. So sometimes in these situations, people, they don't take a bath that often. Because they're always covered, so they feel that they're clean. You understand? They're sleeping in a thermal also and, you know, in in socks and in thick clothing. So they say, oh, don't need to take a bath. And children especially, they won't shower then. But what do we learn? At least once a week, it's necessary. That this bath is not just necessary for cleaning purposes, but also for good health. For good health, this is necessary. That a dirty place, a dirty body, what is attracted to it? Shaitan. So if you want to keep the shaitan away, maintaining this level of tahara, this is minimum level of tahara. This is necessary, very, very important. And this also teaches us that if there is a person who is sick, extremely old, bedridden, they're on bed rest, if they are, I mean, if the doctor has allowed them to take a bath, you know, sometimes you know, they have wounds on their body and they cannot take a bath. So that's understood. But if the only thing, the only reason why they're not taking a bath is they're not capable of doing it themselves, then what is necessary? That the family should at least help them, assist them in this matter. They should help them in this matter because taking a bath once a week is necessary. I remember once a lady told me that how she became a personal support worker. She said that once she was looking after this one old woman, and she said that as a personal support worker, it wasn't her duty to give them a bath. She wasn't required to do that. But she said that, you know, she developed a good relationship with this old lady. And this old lady, finally, she said, can you please help me? And in fact, she also offered her that I can help you take a shower. She said this old woman, she was constantly on her bed. She could not get out. She could not even walk up to the bathroom. She used to wear a diaper every morning, every night, the nurse or whoever is coming to change the diaper. And that's it. She doesn't take a shower. Ever. She said that woman told her that so many years she had not taken a bath. What is called a bath, she had not taken it. She said she was so light and she had two daughters who would come and visit her every now and then. She said to this person support worker, she picked her up literally, took her to the bathroom, covered the bathroom with towels because she did not want to put her in the bathtub. And over there she bathed her. She said when she was washing her hair, this much dead skin came out, like literally 
And she said, she was so grateful, that woman, that thank you so much for giving me a bath. So it's necessary that the people who, who we're living with take care of them in this matter. You want to say something? You kneel before taking a bath? No. Your knee is in your heart. You know what you're taking a bath for. Okay? You're taking a bath in order to become clean, whether it's ghusl of janab or at the end of your periods or for the purpose of Friday prayers. Okay? You know why you're, that you are aware. And this is why you are taking the bath. Okay? So you don't need to pronounce any niya or, you know, tell yourself, okay, I'm taking this bath for this purpose. You know it already. Okay, just one more hadith and then we'll conclude. رواه أبان بن صالح عن مجاهد عن طاووس عن أبي هريرة قال قال نبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لله تعالى على كل مسلم حق for Allah سبحانه وتعالى على كل مسلم حق is a حق on every Muslim meaning every Muslim has a duty to Allah it is Allah's right that every Muslim must يغتسل, that he must take a bath that he must take a bath at least one day in every seven days so earlier in the hadith we learned that it's an obligation now we learn it's Allah's haq you know a person might say you know I'm not married uh, I don't really need to take a bath that often so why should I worry no you are taking a bath keeping your body clean because of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because of Allah. It is Allah's haqq. So from these ahadith, what do we learn? That a person who is not going for Salat al-Jumu'ah, okay, you can say that it's not mandatory on them to take a bath on Friday because they're not going for Friday prayers. But at the same time, remember that once a week bath is mandatory. So when you have to take that once a week bath, why not take it on Friday? Why not? You understand? Subhanakallah wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.